Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Um, we're going to start this series, a uh, two-parter called Strapped, and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about how we manage our money. And frankly, I don't want to do it. Wait, Jonathan, don't you pick the sermon topics? Don't confuse the issue with the facts. I, as much as I feel led to address this, can you, can you understand why I, I don't want to? Uh, or maybe why most of you don't want to hear about it? Or at least, at least in a church setting? In fact, this is not a rhetorical question. Let me actually just you know, just hear from you, shout out reasons why this might be uncomfortable or unpopular topic, not only for me, but for many of you. Shame. Shame. Oh, good one about money and debt and guilt. Too personal. You don't talk about religion or money, and I'm going to do both. (laughs) What I hear? Sad. Sad? Yes. It makes us... Uh, regretful and sad to talk about this stuff? Stressful? Accountability? Accountability. Ugh. Yeah? Fear Fear, talking about this? Can I tell you one of my fears about this is that if you are newish to church, or maybe maybe you've been burned by the church, and and your thinking is, aha, my worst suspicions are confirmed. All, All the church wants to do is talk about money, and I, I, I hate that reputation. Uh, anybody else? Here's another reason. As someone who is, is deeply concerned about authenticity, you need to know that I don't come to this topic from a place of like personal proficiency or expertise, like far from it. I come, I come to finances obediently and biblically and faithfully, but not like with any sense of mastery. And, and some of you in this room actually have the spiritual gift of generosity. I'm so thankful for you. That, it's not my particular giftings. You know, and none of the giftings in the Bible do we have the luxury of saying, well, that, you know, that's not how God has wired me. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't ever have to share my faith. No, like we're, we're responsible on some level to cultivate the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. But this comes more naturally to some of you. In fact, the people, the people who don't wince or mind when we talk about money are usually the people who are naturally generous who have a who have a godly perspective on money and they want they actually want others to experience the freedom that they have found in this area um, frankly it would be spiritual malpractice 
for us not to talk about money in the church because time and time again, money is one of the most visible measurements of the condition of your heart. It is, it is maybe one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. And, and most importantly, though, it's just simply where Scripture takes us again and again and again. It is loaded with powerful teaching about money. In fact, two-thirds of the parables, the stories Jesus told, two-thirds of them deal directly with money or possessions. Um, one in ten verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal with money and things. If, if you read uh, the whole Bible, there's over 2,300 verses that talk directly about money. You know, that's five times more verses than speak about prayer. Five times as many that speak about faith. Is it possible we need to pay attention to this topic that keeps coming up again and again in God's word? I, I think we do. So with that sorry, not sorry introduction, let me ask you what's maybe more of a rhetorical question, but I'll, I'll ask you to answer honestly. How many of you in the room would say a little more money would make life a, a little better. Just, just raise your hand if you are with me. I don't have enough money. I'd love a little more. Yeah, okay. Money's fun if you got some, right? Problem is a lot of people don't got some. My boy uh, Biggie used to say, you know, <laughs> mo money, mo problems, right? And some of y'all thinking, uh, those are some problems I, I wouldn't mind figuring out. A lot of people are strapped, and one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the potential reasons why so many people are strapped is because sometimes we've done stupid stuff with money, right? How many of you done stupid stuff with money? All right, okay. Look at the, look at the people who didn't raise their hands and just say, don't make Jonathan do a sermon on lying too, okay? <laughs> We've all done stupid stuff with money. I'm afraid I've done my fair share. A lot of them have to do with buying things online that I thought were a good deal. Um, the slap chop comes to mind. Anybody remember the slap chop? Uh, and once they offered two for the price of one, I thought, now I can't afford not to get this. So, so then we had two kitchen gadgets that no one used. Uh, that's minor, thankfully. I haven't invested in the GameStop at the peak. I didn't uh, buy a blockbuster franchise or anything. Trust me, Vicky, VHS is coming back in a big way. No, um, and maybe some of you have done stupid stuff with money that has a lot more zeros attached to it. But it's, it's really important for me that we, as we go through this short series, we just leave guilt at the door, okay? So no shame allowed, no guilt allowed. It's, a, it's an emotional topic and, and everyone in this room has made mistakes or been scammed or ripped off, wasted money, but we're, we're all gonna pull a Taylor Swift and we're just gonna shake it off, okay? Shake it off. Today we're gonna start with a foundation. We're gonna look at a godly perspective on money. And today it's all about the heart. And next week I hope we can get really practical. And who knows, I'm hoping for some of you, it is the beginning of, a, of new healthier rhythms in our finances. And you might be surprised to know 
that God's word actually speaks some wisdom into the principles of wise finances and disciplines that will help maybe you climb out of debt. The Bible talks about savings. Uh, how, how do we actually save money and then what do we do with that money when we have it? And in fact, let's just start with uh, God's words, Proverbs 22, verse seven, the time-tested book of, of wisdom found almost in the, in the dead center of your Bible if you're looking. Here's what it says. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower or the person who's in debt, the borrower is what? Let's say these last four words out loud together. The borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is the, the one who's in debt is a servant to the lender. In fact, in, in Hebrew, the word translated as servant is the word ebed. And along with being translated as servant, it also means slave. It means to be in bondage. It, it, it feels like that, doesn't it? Like, I know you don't go around saying I'm a slave to money. I'm in bondage to the Bank of Montreal. But most people uh, make statements that actually imply they are. They'll say, th they'll say things like, oh, I'd love to get married, but you know, we just can't afford it. Or we'd love to start a family now, or we'd love to have another child, or we'd love to adopt a child, or we'd love for one of us to stay home with our children, at least in the, in the early years, but, but we can't do what we want because we don't have enough money. And, and it seems like what they're saying without saying it is we have these values, these values that are clear to us, maybe even convictions from God, but I'm in bondage, I'm strapped. And some people would say, I hate this job, I can't stand it, I could take a lesser paying job, but, but our expenses rose to the level of my income, so I'm stuck. In other words, I can't do what I prefer to do or what I feel like God is calling me to do because I'm in bondage. Some would say, Man, I'd really love to help people. I, I, I'd like to feed hungry kids, but I've got um, three of them who actually live with me in my home, you know, and that, so maybe that World Vision sponsorship is gonna have to wait. Or I'd love to go on a mission trip, but I don't have the money to go on a mission trip. Or I'd love to be generous to God and my church and tithe, I just can't afford to. And I know this is a harsh way of putting it, but it, it's, sounds like what you're saying is we're in bondage. We're slaves to, a, to lesser values. And I realize I'm stepping on toes here, talking about some of the most important issues in life, family, vocation, aspirations. And I know not everyone even fits this narrow cookie cutter definition of, of bondage, but don't tune me out just yet. See if, if any of what I'm about to say applies to you. In fact, let me, let me show you four statistics for Canadians that are disturbing. These are recent. First, we recently passed a, a disturbing milestone in Canada where our collective household debt is 107% of our GDP. So what that means is we all collectively owe more than Canada's entire economy. It's the highest level of any country in the G7. Think about it this way. Whatever the average person earns, they owe that plus 7%. That's unsustainable. Yeah, if we manage the church's money that way, well, 
you know, I'd say go find another church. Yeah, the only institution that for some reason seems to get away with that without going bankrupt is the Canadian government. That's, I'm, that's not a political statement. I'm just spitting truth here. Second thing, let's talk about credit cards. Equifax Canada said average non-mortgage debt per credit card consumer edged up to $21,131. That's a lot of slap chops, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and here's another one. If you are Gen Z, ages 18 to 23, your average debt is 9,593. Just a few short years later, millennials, age 39 to, or 24 to 39, it spikes up to 78,396 average. Now, the point of this is not to go, oh, we're under the national average, so let's go to the cake. Um, I'm glad you're under the national average, but are you okay with a little bit of bondage? <laughs> no wonder marriages struggle. It's no wonder there's so much tension. We live in a world where people are strapped. The last one, and to me the scariest, uh, the number of Canadian households living paycheck to paycheck, 47%. So that means in our church, um, if, if we are average, uh, I think we're above average, but uh, half of us, if you lost your job or didn't get paid, it means you couldn't make a mortgage payment or a rent or car payment. You are in big trouble. And nearly 50% of our country are living that way today. It's no wonder there's so much anxiety around finances. Now, I realize this is normal. Uh, normal is debt. Normal is car payments. Normal is minimum credit card payments, student loan payments, house payments. Normal is fighting about money. Normal is divorcing over money. Normal is laying awake at night worrying about money. But I believe with all my heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are not called to be normal. We are called to be different. We are not like the world. You don't have to settle for normal. So let's just talk briefly about two temptations today of money that we should, I think, be most vigilant to protect our heart. And the first temptation, if you're taking notes, is this, that we are tempted to serve money. We are tempted in one way or another to serve money. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.24. He said, no one can do what? Everybody help me out. Serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus didn't say it was hard. He said it was impossible. You cannot do it. It cannot be done. You cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. Just can't. And it isn't interesting. Of all the things Jesus could have said, you can't serve God and fill in the blank. You can't serve God and power. God and popularity. God and yourself. God and your sexual desires or whatever. What he chose to say was you cannot serve both God and money. Why? I'm guessing because he knew that for many people, money and all the things that come with it, the, the, the stuff, the security, the influence, that would be the number one competitor for people's hearts. You cannot serve both God and money. And apparently this is one of those evergreen issues in humanity. 
as relevant today as it's ever been, apparently very relevant to the listeners of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now, most of you all would say, well, I don't serve money. I would never serve money. And I would argue, uh, if you've ever bought something that you didn't need with money you didn't have to impress people you don't like, you were serving money. You were under its power, under the false premise that, the, that, that these things would make you important or special or happy. And I would argue that if you've ever hoarded money, you, you've said, hey, this is my stack. It makes me feel secure and happy and I'm not sharing. I, you know, I don't know if you know this. Scripture says the first 10% belongs to God. Well, no, he's not, he's not getting mine. Or, or you didn't give to someone in need because this is my money, mine. I would argue you're under the false promises of money. You are serving money. If you've ever compromised your family, neglected your family in pursuit of climbing the ladder, I just want to give my children the lifestyle that I never had. When they're actually just begging for you to be present, um, I would argue you might be under the power of money and, and you're serving it and you don't even know it. We're tempted to serve money. The second thing is we're tempted to love money. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, he said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Could we just pause there and acknowledge what a powerful statement that is. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on to say, some people eager for money have wandered away, wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We're tempted to love money. Now, this is really important. We have to understand that money isn't inherently good or bad. It's one of the most misquoted scriptures uh, ever. Uh, notice it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money's neutral. You can use it for all kinds of good. You can use it for all kinds of evil. What is it? It's the love of money that's wrong. And you might be here thinking you're off the hook because you say, well, I don't love money because I don't have a lot of money. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there are a lot of poor people who love money they just don't have a lot of it. It just means they're more consumed with wanting more, obsessed even. Why? Because they love money. And maybe some of you would say, well, rich people obviously love money. And again, that's not always true. There's a lot of rich people that they're just rich because they're good at what they do and they don't love money. They've got money. They use money. They leverage money. They have money, but money doesn't have them. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of misconceptions about money, isn't there? People think, if I just had more money, I wouldn't have to work so much. Well, statistically speaking, in reality, when people get more money, they tend to work more. They, it means they have more responsibility, higher paying jobs, more stress, more things to manage. Um, reality is, generally speaking, more money means more work. Uh, some people would say, well, if I had more money, I wouldn't have to be in debt. And again, I'm just statistically speaking, if you're in debt when you don't have much, your trajectory is when you get more money, guess what you have? 
More debt, yeah. I think many of you will know the, uh, the number of lottery winners who end up broke in three years because they don't have the discipline to stay rich. This happened to one of the families in a church where I pastored. People say, well, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. And again, I wish that were true, but studies show the highest income producers actually, um, and this is, this is the average, not true for everyone, but the more money people make, the smaller percentage of their income they give. You know, you might be super impressed when Jeff Bezos gives $20 million to some charity until you realize, you know, that's just the money he found in his couch cushions, right? So money is not good. Money is not bad. The love of money is what's evil. You know, what does money do? More, more money generally makes you more of what you already are. If you're a broke jerk and you get more money, congratulations, you're a rich jerk. If you don't have money and you're generous and you get more money, what happens? You add some zeros to your generosity. It's a magnifier. It makes you more of what you already are often. And now, if I ask those of you who are Christians, do you love money? Uh, Most of you, if you're Christians, you'd say, no, no, I don't love money. I mean, I like it. I'd like to be friends with it. And I like a lot of friends. Uh, I don't love money. If you'll remember at the beginning of the message I asked you uh, how many could use a little bit more money, how many of you maybe just don't have enough money, and a lot of hands went up. Do you remember that? Well, let's just go back to Scripture. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is what? Never satisfied with his income. I, I asked if you didn't have enough money, if a little more would help. Most of you said yes. And according to Scripture, if you don't think you have enough, you love money. Just lean over to your neighbor and say, he got you. And then you can tell the person who told you that, oh, he got you too? I'm not trying to get anyone. Because first and foremost, you know, this guy got got. So let's just be honest. A lot of us are under the power of money and we don't even know it or we don't want to reckon with it because it doesn't feel good to be susceptible to this thing that makes the world go round. Now, I want to make a bold statement and it is, it is generally true, but not always true. So if this doesn't apply to you, Taylor Swift it, we shake it off. I believe it's generally true in our culture. It's not true all over the world, but for many people in our part of the world, the problem is not an income problem. It's not about how much we make. It's about how much we spend. We are lifestyling ourselves into bondage. We are spending more than we make into bondage. And so we start to think, well, all I need is more money. No, 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 no. If we are spending more than we make, that's a lifestyle problem, which I would argue is an indication of a spiritual problem, that we are trying to find meaning in things, And the reality is, most of us don't need more money. We need more Jesus. Amen? Amen. And 
Because when we've got Jesus, we've got his wisdom to do what's right with the money that God has provided. It's my prayer that those of you that feel in bondage would would call it what it is and say, I am strapped, I'm in bondage, I'm in debt, I'm a slave, I'm a servant, and I don't want to live that way anymore. All of my friends live that way, but I'm sick of it. I'm sick of fighting about money. I'm sick of worrying about money. I'm sick of not being able to do what I feel like God is calling me to do because I don't have enough money. I'm sick of not being able to help people because I don't have enough money. And maybe you just get sick enough that you'd actually do something different. Step out of what is so-called normal and say, I want to honor God with my money. In fact, if you're a Christian here today, we don't serve money. Who do we serve? We serve God. Now, here's a radical perspective, perhaps, for some of you. Money serves us as we serve God. We don't serve money. We serve God, and money serves us as we serve God. How does money serve us? Well, there's so many ways. Um, a very simple way is money b- buys us time. If, if we have money, we can trade that for time. I could, I could take the time to learn how to change my winter tires, or I could throw Glenn a couple bucks and, and save me half a day doing a 45-minute job. I could drive to Florida and maybe uh, even go straight through the night for 24 hours if Vicky tag team with me, or I could get a direct flight. I'd rather spend those two days on the beach than on Interstate 75. If you have the means, you might hire a house cleaner. Um, what did that do? Well, it freed up four to eight hours a week. You, you maybe bless someone with income, but also you've got time to spend with your kids and maybe serve the community, serve your church. More money gives you options, doesn't it? If you want to take a vacation and you ain't got no money, you ain't got no options. The most important thing, though, what does money do? Money serves us as we serve God. You're serving God. You're asking God, where where do you want me to be a blessing today? and you see someone in need, and and what happens? Money serves you as you serve God, and you get to give it to them. You hear Bridge North, TLC, is starting a new project, has a client in need. You get the privilege of being part of that solution. Um, Why? Because Money is serving us as we serve God. We're not under its power. We're not in its bondage. We can do what God calls us to do because we're not strapped. If you're strapped here this morning, you can get unstrapped. You can. We did. Later than we should have. And if you're already debt-free, um, can start living even a more radical life of, of generosity. This is not easy. I'm over 50. We just got out of some debt, not including mortgage and car payment. Um, we had some help as well, but some of you have years of digging a debt hole. 
and that hole is way over your head now and you feel it's insurmountable. It's not. It's not. It's not easy. It takes work and it takes sacrifice. It takes a plan. Some of y'all know what it's like not to buy new clothes for 10 years. It takes work. Some of y'all know what it's like not to go out, for eat, out to eat for a couple years. You come home on a Friday night, you're drained, you just want to use skip the, skip the dishes. But you chose to skip, skip the dishes because you got a goal and a plan and you're going to get out of this hole. You know what it's like to drive your uh, Chrysler Neon well past the point of embarrassment. The kids want you to pull a few blocks away from the school when you pick them up. But it's worth it because you know the dream, the goal, fighting less, sleeping better, less anxious. You're not strapped, but instead you're a contributor to God's work. You're a channel of his blessing to others. When you love to live well beneath your means and give more away, I think you heard one of our elders preached this summer about one of his dreams based on um, a fellow named Laterno who, who wanted to be able to get to the point where he could reverse tithe, live on 10% and give 90% away. That's an admirable goal, to be set free from the obsession of security. You know, it's called a scarcity mindset, thinking that there's only so much to go around so I better hoard what's mine. As if the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills has limitations to his blessings. It's scarcity thinking. It's strapped thinking. But we believe as Christians that we serve God. We don't serve money. Money serves us as we serve God. I'll leave you with this. Romans 13, 8 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding. Oh, what if we ever got there? No more financial debt. You're debt free. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love. You know, the one debt you can never repay is the sin debt that God paid for you with his own son's blood. He died for you so that we could live. How great would it be to pay off that credit card? that car, that house, so that you could devote the rest of your life sharing the love of Jesus generously with everyone around you. Not in some effort to pay back to Jesus a debt that we could never possibly repay, but just for the sheer joy of giving, uh, of looking more and more like our generous Savior, Jesus. It is possible if, if, if you tune into the discipline that is available to you through the Spirit, that the wisdom that is available to you through the Spirit, um, if you are faithful with a little, guess what? God will trust you with more. It's my prayer that God would trust you all with a lot more and you'd use it for his namesake to make a difference in the world. Father, I pray today that your spirit would minister 
hope and faith. And God, I know that for many, this is uh, painful as we look at our mistakes. We feel horrible. We feel hopeless, like we could never get out. And God, I pray that as we seek you, that you would build our faith of what is possible. And, And you'd help us to wisely manage what you've given us for your glory. God, I pray today that there would be those who would honor you with the tithe. I pray today that there would be those who would be stirred to faithfulness, to faiths, uh, the holes that they've dug in their own lives. And just ask you, Spirit of God, the giver of all wisdom, to help. God, help us to be debt-free, to grow to where we don't serve money. We're not in bondage to money, but we serve you, God, and money serves us to make a, a difference in the world. So much is attached to fear, fear of not having enough, fear of, of uh, getting to our retirement and having to rely on others. Uh, God wants to set you free from that, I believe.